I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me Welcome down. to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Amsden. I am excited about the show that we have for you today. We've got Woody Womack, a Rivals recruiting expert from the Southeast, here to talk to us about the Rivals camp process, as well as whether Arizona State has been wise to be recruiting so far out of their region the last couple of years, uh, as they have pulled in players from the Southeast, the region that Woody covers, uh, and some of those players haven't worked out, so he'll be in to, to talk to us about that. Also was able to catch up with Marshall Nathy all the way back at the spring game, um, and I think that that's something that, that, that you guys will be definitely interested in hearing because he's someone that could really challenge for playing time at center this year. His attitude um, and the way that he goes about things is just incredibly refreshing, uh, and, and I think you'll really enjoy that interview. Also going to have some comments from Hode Rubino uh, about basketball recruiting. Hode Rubino, the um, the publisher, uh, the everything man for devilsdigest.com. Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you're in those forums. We will get you all the information we can about ASU athletics. Love having you in there and love having the conversation. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into it. We're in sort of a dead period right now. There's obviously not a lot of basketball going on, um, not a lot of football going on. They are recruiting. They are out on the road and they are offering kids uh, so we do have some news to report about that. But for right now, all that you're really left to think about is what it's going to take for Arizona State University football to take it to the next level. What is it that they have to do to get over the hump and not this sleeping giant conversation that everybody likes to bring up? The the sleeping giant thing, I mean, that they are, as far as giants go, they're in a coma. They are They are dormant. Uh, they're not coming out of it. I mean, unless you're going to Rose Bowls, unless you are competing for an FBS championship, I I don't think that you can really uh, talk about the sleeping giant. You know, let's let's just work on on uh, on maybe you know getting the sleep apnea machine on and and, and getting some better slumber uh, before the giant actually awakes awakens. We, what we want to see from Arizona State University is we want to see. Uh, the 10-win the seasons that Todd Graham was able to bring early on. Uh, you want to see them develop high school-level recruits uh, into NFL-eligible, NFL-caliber players. Uh, you you want to see them continue to do some of the things they've been doing, which is graduate players at a high level, uh, bring high-character players into the program and send them out into the community, continue to raise money for all of the upgrades and everything they're doing throughout athletics, They've been doing some good things, but winning is ultimately the thing that matters most. And for this staff to get that done, I mean, it it, it could not be more important for them to do it now. Otherwise, they might not be the ones trying to do it, trying to be the ones that awaken the giant uh, from here on out. And so what do they need to do to get to the next level? I think that's something that... Uh, everybody obviously asks themselves. It's something we talk about on the Devil's Digest message boards all of the time. But simply put, what aren't they doing now that has them at the level they're at? 
And one of the things um, that they're not doing is they're not retaining staff through no fault of their own. Many of the coaches have either gotten raises or, or been promoted. Um, so they're not retaining staff, which leads to not developing relationships with recruits, which leads to recruits not committing to Arizona State University. What else aren't they doing uh, correctly? What else are they doing that's keeping them at the level of mediocrity right now? Well, um, up until this point, the way the coaching responsibilities were divvied up was different than they are supposed to be, and we have been told they will be in the future. Uh, And so having a more hierarchical uh, situation where more coaches are responsible for more things, less cooks in the kitchen. Todd Graham is is able to be more of a, a figurehead and a general manager um, than he is somebody who who has his hands on on all of the things that are going on uh, on game day, in between play calls, you know, whatever it may be. That could be something uh, that they change to help get them to the next level. Uh, what are some of the other things that they are doing that is keeping them at the current state that they're at right now, which is coming off of back-to-back losing seasons? Well, that's going to be something that we get into on this podcast with Woody Womack. They're not necessarily recruiting the region um, to the best of their ability. And I know Todd Graham uh, and the staff will tell you that that basically their needs didn't necessarily match up with what regions like California had to offer last year. Uh, but the truth is, you know, they did offer a lot of these California kids, and a lot of these California kids just chose to go elsewhere. Arizona State's in a situation right now where they are competing with all of the teams that they've always competed with. Uh, there's USC, there's Oregon, there's there's Washington. Everybody's fighting over these California kids. But now Utah's involved with the success that they've had. Now Colorado's involved with the success that they've had. Now Mike Riley at Nebraska has established a very strong foothold in Southern California, having also stolen a coach from University of Arizona who had given them some headway into Southern California and now you have to worry about several more teams that weren't necessarily your competition to begin with. Now you should be able to compete head-to-head with Nebraska for Southern California kids when you're in Tempe, Arizona. You should be able to compete head-to-head with Nebraska but What if your focus wasn't on California? And what if you're turning over staff? Then you don't necessarily have those strong relationships and you're behind the eight ball. Players that other schools may have identified as freshmen and sophomores and they are developing those relationships, they're going to be ahead of the game. So the issue right now for Arizona State to get to the next level, they absolutely need to retain some of the staff that they have right now so that when they teach, you're hearing a unified voice, a unified process. You're able to learn from the same people. You're able to have people become experts on the players that they're coaching and work to develop those players. So that they need to hang on to some staff. It's maybe too little too late for that right now with your back against the wall needing to win this season. But that's something they absolutely have to do. The other thing that they absolutely have to do is they need to make sure that the correct voices 
are in place so that players don't get confused. I feel like ASU took a massive step forward. Massive step forward when it comes to that this season. Billy Napier is established. He was a position coach at Alabama, has coached in multiple national championships, was an offensive coordinator at Clemson. This is not the typical offensive coordinator that Todd Graham has had in his tenure as an FBS head coach at four or five different schools. He likes to bring in guys from the high school ranks. He likes that rah-rah attitude. He likes the ultimate authority of of being a head coach. You know, high school assistants look at a high school head coach a little bit differently than when everybody's a professional and in the college ranks. He likes to be surrounded by those guys that he's given a shot from the high school ranks. And, and this season, that's not the case. Phil Bennett is a seasoned pro. Billy Napier has been around the block. So you're actually going to have people who know what they're doing, speak with an authoritative voice, and have been teachers. Rob Likens has been an offensive coordinator at a major program. I mean, it's Kansas, but it's still in a major conference and is a college football program. Uh, Having Jay Norvell around last year may have opened Todd Graham's eyes to the idea of having a seasoned professional in a position of influence. That's what this school needs. The, the, The high school mentality of being able to rally the troops and everybody getting fired up like it's a Friday night in Allen, Texas, that may have worked for you in the beginning, but... It's not working now. It's not working now. And 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 like we've talked about uh, in in episodes of Speak of the Devil, uh, Todd Graham needs to be a fixture, not a fixer. He came in and he fixed some problems that that were occurring in the Dennis Erickson era, but he hasn't set himself up to be a fixture because there are issues, there are leaks in the boat that they haven't necessarily been able to plug yet. And I personally feel like the steps that they've taken to fill out this staff could ultimately be the repairs that this boat needs to float. Billy Napier, Phil Bennett, Rob Likens, these are all serious coaches. And like you'll hear later in the podcast, Marshall Nathy has a lot to say about Coach Rob Sale on the offensive line. You also have Dave Christensen, who was a very successful offensive coordinator at Missouri, a not-so-successful head coach at the University of Wyoming, and, and, and obviously you know worked at Texas A&M and Utah, uh, who is coming in here as a non-coaching consultant to be more of a voice in you know what it's going to take for Arizona State to, to be as successful as they can possibly be on offense. Uh, and, and on defense, you know, bringing in Michael Slater to be the defensive line coach, he's sort of the happy medium between what they had in Joe Samalo as the nice guy and Jackie Ship as, as, as the bad cop. Um, you know, he, he's somebody who seems to be a little bit more of a teacher and understands how this roster is built and how to potentially get the best out of the defensive line. Keith Patterson, who has been around forever, who I believe should continue to be around this program. I believe he helps ground Todd Graham uh, and give him a connection to previous staffs, give him uh, give him an outlet, somebody who understands the way that he communicates and what the expectations are of being on this staff. I feel like it's important to keep him around. He's still part of this defense. He's coaching linebackers. This might be the best 
coaching staff that Arizona State has ever assembled, is it too little too late? Do they have the ability to make the impact that is necessary to be able to get ASU over the hump to 8, 9, 10 wins that's going to keep the staff hopefully in place in 2018 so they can build on that success, so they can start to develop relationships with high school kids uh, so that they're not always depending heavily on recruiting the junior college ranks. Those are the things that Arizona State needs to do to get to the next level. And some of them they're doing, and some of them might be too late, and they don't have the ability necessarily to, to start doing those things. Um, but it doesn't matter. They don't have a choice. They have to do their absolute best this year, or I fully believe, and many other people associated with Arizona State football media or just fans see the writing on the wall that this is this is a make-or-break season. And Todd Graham told me one, one time when I was interviewing him that they are not going to pay you millions of dollars to win half your football games. They're certainly not going to do it three years in a row. They're not. So what Arizona State needs to do is they need to win, and in order to win, you have to have the right coaches in place with the right message, no meddling, and you need to be able to bring players in who are going to contribute. And that brings us to recruiting, and we'll get to it in a second. So we're we're into the evaluation period. Arizona State is out. They're on the road. They're offering kids. They're all over some junior college players who are very talented. They're all over some California wide receivers that are very talented. They're chasing some quarterbacks. There's some local 2018 players uh, that, that Arizona State has on their radar. They are out, and they're doing their absolute best right now. But the truth is the best isn't good enough. And the question that uh, that you need to ask is, you know, at, at what point do you start to grow concerned about Arizona State's 2018 recruiting efforts? Now, this podcast isn't meant to be a massive downer, but we do have to deal in facts. Right now, the University of Washington has eight commits. Six of them are four stars. Many of them have been offered by Arizona State. USC. Currently, seven commits, including two five-stars and four four-stars. Oregon, which has a brand spanking new coaching staff installed, dealing with the same stuff that Arizona State is dealing with as far as having new assistants. They're completely re-energized right now, and they have nine commits. Nine right now, including a four-star running back, a four-star defensive back that Arizona State was pursuing in earnest. Uh, They have a four-star offensive lineman who's local up there. Uh, They plucked a defensive tackle out of Arizona Western uh, that Arizona State had some interest in. They are having a lot of success. They've actually turned recruits away uh, and not taken commits from recruits that Arizona State is also in on. So they're doing very well right now. UCLA, 
also nine commits. And while the talent isn't through the roof for them right now, they do have probably the best quarterback in the in the West in Dorian Thompson-Robinson, definitely unproven but has the most tools. Uh, Cam Jones from Mansfield, Texas, a four-star defensive back. Stephen Blaylock, a defensive back from Bellflower, California, a four-star guy. They have Javon Hill, a three-star uh, defensive back from San Bernardino that ASU had some interest in. And so they're doing fine. They have nine players right now. Stanford, they're really limited in who they actually have the ability to recruit from year to year. But they've got four commits. This is sort of the way that they work. You have to be able to qualify. But they have their quarterback just like they do every year. They've got a running back, a wide receiver, and a defensive end. Nobody under three stars. Nobody under three stars. Colorado. Colorado is a team that had a hard time filling out its recruiting class last year, uh, but they did get a lot of interest uh, from Texas for the very first time. They currently have six three-star commits, six of them, including uh, 6'3", 3'10", offensive lineman from DeSoto, Texas, which is the heart of the country that ASU has, has been known for recruiting. Colorado's in Texas. Colorado's in California. Colorado is taking care of business in Colorado, three of their commits are are in Colorado right now. They're doing fine. Utah currently has two four-star commits, including quarterback Jack Tuttle, who was somebody that ASU had interest in prior to Billy Napier ever getting here. Uh, they had three commits into the football season last year, so Utah is already doing better than they did in the previous season. Cal, with a brand-new coaching staff, a brand-new staff, they're currently sitting at five commits, none that I personally believe ASU would have taken a commitment from, maybe offensive lineman Jasper Frisk, but they do have five commits at this time. U of A, they always get a lot of early commits, not super high talent level commits, um, but they currently have five. Washington State is another team that kind of struggles to to compete when it comes to recruiting, but they have four commits at this time, including two three-stars, one from Texas and a linebacker from California. Oregon State, they have made their home picking up guys that Arizona State overlooks uh, in California and in Arizona. Uh, They already have three commits right now. So there is nobody in the Pac-12, nobody in the Pac-12, that doesn't have a minimum of three commitments. The average is well over five commits per team. And where is Arizona State at? They have one. They have Dominique Harrison, somebody who they probably would have taken a commitment from last season had he been eligible out of Blinn College. And so they have one. And that was recent. That was May 16th. That was three days ago. Should you be concerned that Arizona State doesn't have many verbal commits for the 2018 class? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, it's the middle of May. Who cares? Well, you might be right. You might also be saying to yourself, a lot of these guys who have given verbals to other Pac-12 teams, they won't stick it out. And if ASU stays in and battles, they might land some of them. But I would argue that the retention rate on verbal commitments is still well over 50%. Every time somebody commits to another school, they're 
more often than not, they're going to stick that commitment out. And a lot of these are players that Arizona State has missed out on. So we're in a situation following Arizona State football where their backs are against the wall, where they have a new staff, but they can't use that as an excuse because Cal's getting commits and Oregon is getting high-level commits. And they can't use the excuse that because their backs are against the wall and because they're on the hot seat, they're not getting any commits. Because you can't feel super great about your job if you're Jim Mora at UCLA, and they've got nine kids right now committed to their program. If you're Arizona State, you can't be behind in the recruiting rankings when it comes to Utah or Colorado. And right now, as of May 19th, 2017, Colorado is the 44th ranked team, according to rivals, as far as the team recruiting rankings. Utah, 47. Arizona State, up until three days ago, wasn't even on the map. Now, they're tied for 87th. That's not going to get it done. It's absolutely not going to get it done. Now, for those people that say it is only May, I definitely sympathize with that. But every day that goes by, the options, they dwindle a little bit more and more. What can you expect Arizona State to land in the 2018 recruiting class? Well, they don't need a quarterback. They absolutely do not need a quarterback. But... They might get one. They're currently in on and recruiting quite a few. Many have already committed to other schools. Uh, But some of the names that you should keep an eye on and ear out for would be Cameron Cooper out of Lehigh, Utah. Um, He's somebody who has seen his stock go through the roof. Uh, He's getting a lot of the same offers that a lot of the bigger quarterbacks are getting right now. Georgia's still looking for a quarterback. North Carolina's still looking for a quarterback. You'll often see all the teams without a quarterback offer the same kids. And North Carolina and and Georgia are are, are two of the teams that are in on a lot of these kids. Uh, Tanner McKee out of Corona Centennial, 6'6", 220-pound quarterback, very highly regarded has a lot of the same offers as Cam and Cooper, as somebody that Arizona State is also very interested in. There's also Brevin White out there, younger brother of Brady White. His list of offers isn't currently as impressive as some of these other quarterbacks. One of the reasons for that is he's not a six foot five, six foot six guy. He's six two, very similar in stature and body shape to his brother. The only other schools that Arizona State is competing with right now that you would consider uh, local competitors is maybe maybe Oregon State. Uh, they'd be on that list. You know, Utah offered him, but they don't necessarily need him right now. Washington and Washington State have shown him quite a bit of attention. So ASU is competing with schools technically that they should be able to beat out if they weren't in a situation where they already had five scholarship quarterbacks and none of them being seniors. And so it's very possible that ASU doesn't land a quarterback in this recruiting class, which is fine. They'll be fine. They have five on scholarship right now. None are seniors. Shouldn't necessarily be an issue. But they are going to be graduating running backs, two of the two of the more highly anticipated and, and held in high regard running backs that ASU has had in the last decade. And Kalen Balazs and Demario Richard could have absolutely great years um, 
this season and 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 that could really help in the recruiting department for Arizona State and where Arizona State's looking right now uh, for a running back is where they found the previous running backs that have had success at, at ASU they're looking in Texas and they're looking in California I know I know Kalen Balage is from Colorado, but there's not really anybody in Colorado right now that has that Kalen Balage six foot four, two hundred and sixty pound stature that can go out and run people over. So here's some some of the people they're after right now: Craig Williams and Brock Sturgis, both from Texas. Um, three star running backs could be great options. Craig Williams, more of a, a smaller in stature, five foot nine, one hundred and seventy pound kid. Brock Sturgis, a little bit bigger, more prototypical size at five ten, one ninety five. Both of them have been getting increased recruiting attention recently. Demetrius Flowers out of Bellflower, California, six foot one, two ten. He's somebody that Arizona State um, seems to like quite a bit. Uh, we have Trenton Charles out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, who is who is somebody uh, who's sort of a smaller in stature, uh, speed guy who can play in the slot, and and another one that that you you might want to keep an eye out for is six foot 205 pound Chris Brown Jr. out of Oceanside, California. Uh, he's he's somebody who has a lot of recruiting attention from the Pac-12. Uh, ASU is battling Arizona, Cal, Oregon State, UCLA, Utah, and Washington State for him right now. And so uh, my guess is they would want to take at least two running backs to replace what it is that they'll be losing. Um, obviously, Eno Benjamin and others are, are ready to step in um, and and try to carry the load and the void left you know, by these graduating seniors after next year. Uh, but you always want to make sure you're reloading at the running back position. And they are in on several three-star running backs from Texas and California. We'll keep you updated on that on devilsdigest.com. Wide receiver is not a position that you need to worry about because they are going to get some good wide receivers. I guarantee you right now, ASU will take at least three commitments from very skilled wide receivers in this recruiting class. Now, it's a deep class as far as wide receiver recruits go one of the issues that they're running into right now is probably a couple of the guys that they would have preferred over everybody uh, Austin Osborne from Mission Viejo and Marquis Spiker from Murrieta California they both committed to Washington and then you lose out on a guy like Chase Williams who Arizona State was in on pretty heavily to Nebraska so all of a sudden some of your options start to dwindle and you're you know, you're you're on to your next choice and your next choice and your next choice. Um, and, and there are definitely some good ones out there. As far as uncommitted four-star wide receivers, Arizona State currently has an offer out to, by my count, at least six. At least six uncommitted four-star or above wide receivers. Uh, some of them are... are you know, speedy slot types. They just offered Miles Battle out of Houston, Texas, a four-star guy. He's six foot four, one eighty. Could be a massive impact at wide receiver. Tommy Bush, six foot five, one eighty-five, out of Texas. Uh, Michael Ezeki, a six foot five, two ten, three-star out of Ontario, California. So they're looking at some of these bigger wide receivers um, that are that are still out there and and pursuing them. Um, and and I I personally believe that you'll see at least three talented wide receivers 
coming to Arizona State out of this recruiting class. Um, one of the only issues right now that they're facing is there just isn't the 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 talent that they were initially chasing. They're losing out right now on that, and so they do need to step it up and make sure that the, the those that they do bring in, um, maybe a guy like Jordan Porter. Uh, who ASU was first to offer, but now even Alabama's in on. You know, that's somebody who it would be nice to to see if they could finagle their way into getting a commitment out of somebody like him. Uh, one area that they are recruiting extremely heavy right now is tight end. Now, I know that they did bring in uh, C.J. French Love uh, as a junior college uh, sort of post-signing day uh, commitment. Um, to help shore up that position. They have a few walk-ons. You know, they're going to do everything they can to make J.J. Wilson a star, Um, but they are actively seeking out tight end options from all over the country. Anybody will do if they can step in, they can catch passes, and they can block. ASU is going to try to find a way to, to make use of them. Uh, McAllen Castles is a three-star from from South Lake Tahoe, California, uh, who is very interesting to me. Mustafa Muhammad, six foot five, two twenty-five kid from Missouri City, Texas. Uh, I believe near the same area where they got Jerry Jeremy Smith, uh, wide receiver, now defensive back out of Dominic Anderson, one of the most highly pursued tight ends in the country, is at Arizona Western. He's a junior college guy. Um, they lost out on on Brevin Jordan, who might be the best tight end in the country. He's going to Miami, um, but but they're they are chasing some options out there at tight end, um, and and it seems to be that they're very much prioritizing not only this recruiting class but future recruiting classes as far as the tight end position goes. Offensive line is another position that's going to be very important because they're in desperate need of tackles, and if you look uh, along down the line of some of the players that that ASU has. Offered at the tackle position, I mean, you have several guys that are six foot five and above, which is really what they need. They need to be able to develop some of these players that can that are natural tackles. And I mean, they they've they've offered well over twenty offensive linemen total, um, but but several of these guys are I mean, they are big. Uh, we're we're talking about some of the priority some of the priority guys for them, uh, Tremont Moore, junior college guy, six foot six, three fifty. Um, Victor Kern, three star out of Houston, Texas, six foot five, three oh two. Jason Dixon, a three star out of Pleasant Hill, California, six foot six, three ten. You have Cameron Wire, six foot seven out of Louisiana. You have Mike Ruth, six foot seven out of Coppell, Texas. Brandon Mello, six foot seven out of Concord, California. Tommy Brown, six foot seven out of Santa Ana, California. They even offered a two-star named Noah Gatlin out of Jonesboro, Arkansas. He's six foot seven, three hundred pounds. Uh, Owen Condon, six foot seven, two seventy, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So they are all over the country searching for uh, players who who they can transition into that tackle position uh, and and have them. You know, not just necessarily be hybrid guard tackles, but actual natural tackles, which is something that they missed out on in the last two recruiting classes, in my opinion. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, they're they're looking for pass rushers. They they're scouring the JUCO ranks uh, for for a lot of uh, what the JUCO ranks have to offer, and 
Marquez Daniels out of Arizona Western and Azura Kamara out of Arizona Western are two guys that I've had an opportunity to see up close. Azura Kamara played at Central High School right here in uh, in Phoenix, and and you know he was he was somebody who academically just wasn't able to make it, but he's gone down, and he, you know he's working on qualifying. Six foot six, two thirty, could be an absolute force at defensive end. Uh, you know they they've offered guys in California, Missouri, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, same places that they typically recruit um, their their defensive end and defensive tackle prospects. Uh, right now, I would say that you know they they have an advantage over being near the you know Arizona Western and be able to get down uh, to that that junior college and, and see some of these guys. But it seems like the tradition that they're developing as far as recruiting defensive ends and defensive tackles is to bring in people who are maybe battle ready, who have gone through that junior college experience, and that might be something uh, to expect from from this recruiting class is the people that they do bring in on the defensive line uh, are you know two for two guys or three for two guys who are going to be you know a little bit later in the process while you would like to see them develop some high school defensive linemen into actual contributors um, and you hope that Tashawn Smallwood's able to step up and Jalen Bates will get healthy and, and and you'll see a little bit of that that development from the high school level instead of you know the the JUCO level. Um, you you got to put the best possible team on the field at any given time, and a lot of these defensive ends and defensive tackles, um, they're you know they they make easy transitions from the junior college level and having had their bodies mature and show that they have the ability to rush the passer, they make smooth transitions, especially into a league like the Pac-12. And so uh, I would expect to see them really heavily pursuing uh, very, very many junior college players as far as defensive end, outside linebacker, um, and defensive tackle. I, I don't expect to see a change in that strategy. They'll take who they can get, but if you're if you're ready to go, uh, they could absolutely use you. Defensive backs interesting because they are all over the country recruiting defensive backs, and and they you know they've lost out on quite a few, but so many of the last four defensive backs that they've brought in, three late additions to the class of 2017, and now Dominique Harrison for the class of 2018, who absolutely could have been part of the class of 2017, uh, but decided to stay at Blinn College a little bit longer, make sure he's qualified. You know th- these are all JUCO guys. They're all JUCO guys. Um, and that should be concerning. They did bring in a lot of people in last year's class um, to to sort of play the safety position, and te- you know they'll test some people out at uh, at corner as well. But you know they're they're throwing every, as many players out there as they can right now to see you know what it is that's going to work, what's going to stop them from being absolutely dead last and pass defense in all of the FBS, and probably if you pulled up the FCS too. So. Um, they're going to do everything they can to make sure they have good players, and you know they're they're really only graduating a couple from the defensive backfield this year. And who knows, maybe Creamore has a massive season, goes pro or something like that. But you know what what they need is the best available defensive backs. I don't think they should take any more flyers on anybody as far as a defensive back. I think you swing for the fences. I think you're desperate to make sure that you get the absolute best players available. 
you shoot for the four and five stars. I mean, there are a lot that are already committed. Uh, Brendan Radley Hiles, who is probably you know one of the best in Southern California, and moved out to Bradenton, Florida, to be at IMG Academy. He's committed to Nebraska. You lost out on Stephen Blaylock to UCLA. You lost out on Javon Hill to UCLA. Um, Derek Allen out of Marietta, Georgia, is one of the best players in the country. He's going to Notre Dame, but ASU had been after him. Um, you know, you only have a few options left. Isaac Taylor Stewart. Um, is a is is a four star out of San Diego who who is going to be an incredible player. Shari Crosswell, um, out of Augustus Hawkins in in Los Angeles or Long Beach, California. He's six one one eighty five, perfect size to play corner. Uh, he can play some safety too. He's a four star. He's somebody um, that that they should really focus in on. Um, Kyler McMichael out of Duluth, Georgia, somebody that they've pursued. He's a Rivals 250 guy. Brian Addison, who's more of a receiver, could possibly play tight end eventually, you know, but I've seen him at the high school level play some def- in defensive backfield. And there's some local guys like Dominique Hampton, like Josiah Bradley, both out of the state of Arizona, that could be good. But, they, you know, they, they need to shoot for the stars as far as literally shoot for the stars as far as some of these defensive back recruits get the best players available see if you can develop them um because you know the more unrated rivals juco transfers that you bring in i mean it might work it worked for cal a little bit they brought in aj greathouse they switched luke rubenzer out to the defensive backfield um, you know, they brought in Marlo Sean Franklin, who was a, a unrated Juco guy when they signed him. And all these guys have helped Cal creep back up in the past defense standings and, and leave, you know, ASU in the dust. You would absolutely trade out California's uh, past defense for, for ASU's. But I've also heard a lot of people say it's not necessarily a talent level thing. It's a it's a coaching thing. And that's something that Hode Rubino has brought up before quite a bit. And I definitely respect Hode's opinion on that. But at the same time, if they believed that it was a schematic issue, I'm not sure that they would be taking some of the recruits that they've taken in the last few months as far as players to fill scholarship holes in the defensive backfield. So that being said, uh, a lot of these players that they're recruiting are closer to home than they've been in recent years. And so what I want to do is I want to bring in Woody Womack. And, and you know, we, we spoke by phone after he was uh, heading up the, the Rivals camp that took place uh, out in California uh, and getting a look at some of the players that he hadn't, hadn't previously seen um, to talk about some of the players that ASU could pursue in Southern California and also, more importantly, why some of the players they've recruited successfully uh, in other parts of the country, especially in the Southeast and on the East Coast, why some of those players haven't necessarily worked out for ASU. So let's take a listen. All right, so I've got Woody Womack uh, does absolutely everything uh, for rivals based out of the Southeast. Um, 
covers all of the schools in, in, in the Southeast and was just out in California at the LA Rivals camp. We got a chance to talk and and he was cool enough to, to jump on the podcast and talk to me a little bit about uh, Arizona State's recruiting. Uh, and you might be asking yourself, why would we be bringing in somebody from the Southeast to talk Arizona State recruiting? Well, that's because they've been recruiting in the Southeast to mixed results over the last few years. So um, Woody, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. No problem. Great to be on. So, you're out at the at the LA Rivals um, camp. You've been to the, a few of the other camps. How the talent stack up um, versus some of the other camps you've seen so far this year? Well, actually, you know, it was pretty good. I mean, the thing, the thing you have to remember, you know, about the LA camp, we had a ton of guys registered. Some guys no show. That that happens. Kind of like having throwing out your wedding list. You know, some people aren't going to make it, but. Uh, the good thing about LA is when you, you you can have random kids come in and replace some of the spots, and you can find guys that can play. So, I mean, that part of it really makes it exciting for us because, you know, there have been players. If you look back, you know, guys in the Pac-12 now that came into that Rivals camp with no offers. I know the running back at UCLA won the MVP award three or four years ago and uh, had no offers at the time. And UCLA offered later that day. He ended up going there. So the you know, that, that's, that's one of the fun things about we do that's kind of a bonus. We've seen some kids that really weren't on the radar do well at the camp and now add offers this week. So I like the talent level there. I think it was good. And, you know, in an area like that, like I said, it's hard not to find uh, guys who can play. Now, the combine and the partnership with Adidas has kind of brought a different, interesting element. You know, the, the laser-timed 40s, uh, getting their actual heights and weights and, and, and verticals. Uh, just through that, um, you actually had a hand in inviting somebody back from a local high school here in, in Arizona, Mountain View High School, and Jacob Dinwiddie. Um, have has rivals really been able to to uh, uncover some uh, some gems through this this combine process? Where I mean, there were sixteen hundred in Dallas and almost twelve hundred and fifty in LA alone. Yeah, it gives us a chance to. I mean, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, a lot of the kids are like, "Hey, am I invited back tomorrow?" And it's like, well, you know, we're only taking five to ten kids, so that makes it that makes it a little harder. But uh, you, you know. It, Dinwiddie's a perfect example. I mean, he's a guy who was super productive uh, last year, I think, as a sophomore in his first real season on varsity. Put up huge numbers, and he's just trying to get out there and get seen. He comes to the combine, tests well, and next thing you know, he's, he gets to be in the camp. And, I mean, he, that was a gamble for him and his family to make that trip, you know, from Arizona all the way to L.A., but uh, it turns out to be a good one. And now he's a guy we're going to be watching. I mean, you know, he, he says a lot of schools are interested He's still pretty new to the process, but, you know, like you said, he's had teammates to get recruited before. That school has been a powerhouse in, in years gone by. So I think, you know, that's a guy who we didn't know anything about. He comes to the combine, gets the invite, and it's only a matter of time before, especially Pac-12 schools, start lining up and offering him and and uh, and really giving him a chance. So, you know, we, we'll probably take a little bit of credit for it, but in the end, you know, it was him and his talent that, that ended up shining through and, and helping them. And that's, that's the cool part about the combine. It gives everyone a chance to come compete. Some guys are going to slip through the cracks, especially some of the younger guys, but now they're on our radar. They've got a profile on rivals and everything. We've got measurements, so, you know, on the times. and You, you know, the, the amount of college coaches hitting me up for mm-hmm. heights, weights, times on certain guys is, is really high. So, you know, it just shows that everyone is really paying attention to them. 
Well, now speaking of uh, of some of the the younger guys, it felt like there were a ton of 2019 and 2020 uh, players out. I mean, we had well, there was an eighth grader that came in uh, from Georgia for for the rivals camp. A lot of young people out there, and one of them that made an impact ended up winning the MVP award for running backs was a kid out of Sal Point Catholic High School in Tucson named Bajan Robinson. Was there anything in particular you saw from him uh, that, that that leads you to believe that he could be somebody um, who's going to be on everybody's radar here in, 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 the, in the coming year or two? Yeah, I mean, you know, that was a that was a running back group that had a lot of talent. I mean, there was a couple guys with some some major offers. There were some 2019 four stars in that group, but he comes in, you know, unknown to us. Obviously, I, I was actually the point man on the camp uh, because uh, Adam Gorney, our West Coast analyst, is in the process of having a baby. I think it's still ongoing. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, obviously, I don't know who he is, and I figured just looking at him, the eye test, you figure he's a 2018 kid. It turns out. You know, he's just a freshman, going to be a sophomore. He, he lit it up. So I think there's no question in my mind that, that you know, say if he were in another state, he were from California or, or from uh, Georgia, he might already have some offers. So well, I think once schools get a chance to lay eyes on him and really check him out, that, that you're seeing a guy who could be a 20, a 20 offer guy if the film matches up with what we were able to see in that camp setting. Because he was, he was handling guys older than him, you know, and, the tackling drill in space, he was making guys look silly, and then in the in the pass catching drill, I mean, he he was doing it again. So he kind of has a well rounded game, especially for a guy his age. So you know, I I don't know any. You know, I've I've only been doing this about five years, but I don't know anybody who has more information just on the players uh, in the southeast. Um, than you, uh, you know, I, I've been following you for a while, especially because Arizona State, um, as they as they tried to become sort of a national brand, they took the boundaries away on on where it was they were going to focus their recruiting attention. You know, this is a school that partnered with uh, Starbucks to say that anybody who works for Starbucks anywhere in the country, as long as they have admission requirements, they get to go to ASU for free. So with this like national recognition, they're running commercials all over the country. Uh, and because a lot of their coaching staff is from the Southeast, Texas, Louisiana, um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of crossover between Auburn staff and Arizona state staff, you have a recruiting focus all of a sudden that's in, um, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and Louisiana, and they've kind of had mixed results uh, when it comes to recruiting the other side of the country. And, and this was something that you and I talked about, and it's really the main reason that I wanted to, I, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to get your ideas on uh, whether or not it's a good idea to have that strategy just for any school, and then to talk specifically about some of the missteps that Arizona State has made along the way. And so, I mean, with recovering the, uh, with, with covering the Southeast, do you typically see a lot of schools out there come and recruit you know the uh, the west coast or do they stick to what they know no you know every, well obviously in atlanta i mean it, it, lately i think a lot of coaches especially have, have figured things out about this is an area we we have to be in i mean i've had prominent coaches from the pac-12 and, and the big 12 both hit me up in the last week saying what just what you said <laughs> hey i heard you know the guy i heard you know you know a lot about the players can we get in there? It's a direct flight from Atlanta to whatever. And that's one thing fans don't really think about. You're like, why would we go all the way to Georgia? 
Well, if a kid can get on a direct flight from Atlanta to Phoenix, you know, and, or his, more importantly, his family can come to see him on a, you know, on a Delta flight or whatever for 250 bucks. I mean, that's the kind of thing that ends up uh, catching the attention of, of recruits. So if a guy's looking at going to Cincinnati, for example, or and then Arizona State walks in, that's a real option. The problem you have, though, in a, a lot of schools make this mistake. We've seen it. Uh, you and I talked about it uh, last week. A guy like EJ Price goes to USC, right? And everyone's like, oh, my God, this guy had offers from Georgia and Alabama. How does USC go into Atlanta and steal him away? Well, the, by the time signing day came around, a lot of schools had, had sort of soured on him. But because USC's coming in from the outside, they don't have that kind of information. They don't, they're not, they don't know high school coaches talk to they don't know you know various other shady types that deal with players here in the southeast so um that's the problem you have arizona state's facing that problem as well when they go deep out of the region you're kind of relying on it's kind of like if it's too good to be true it probably is you know with a guy like i think we talked about uh what was his name? What was well, his name? The athlete out of uh, Virginia, Jason, Jason Lewis. Lewis Jason it? Lewis. Yeah, he lasted two years here and never took a snap. Then quietly, kind of, kind of slunked away. And 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 over the two year period that he was here, a lot of whispers about his attitude, his head not really being in it. And when I brought that up to you, you didn't seem surprised at all. Right, because that was the thing that was kind of known. And and I wasn't even. He wasn't even from my. He was from the, the Mid Atlantic, but. That's what I'm saying. You, if you're if you're an Arizona State fan, you think, "Holy cow, we just stole this guy who has all these offers out of Virginia or Washington D.C. or whatever." But then you got to realize, well, you know, wait a minute. Why didn't he take official visits to these schools? What what was going on? What you see? What I'm saying. So it's rare that that you're getting somebody. Now, what they need to do, and what what I've seen in the success, is go get a guy like Kareem Moore. He's a guy that. That was a low three-star. Tennessee didn't want. That was a superior evaluation by them to say, this guy can fit our system. He can play here. Let's go get him. So that was that was a great job by the staff. Those are the guys they need to find. You're not going to go toe-to-toe with Alabama and Georgia for, for, I mean, you know, Mac Jones, for example, the quarterback. They loved him. He went out there and visited. Same with Davis Mills. The problem is, you know, when it came down to it, Matt Jones is staring an offer from Alabama in the face, and even as the second guy in the class, he was going to take that instead. So, you know, it, it's tough. That's, that's where you got to focus your energy on. Look, we can unearth some guys, some guys that maybe, you know, the kind of guys that make me look bad. The guys that I have right well, that I haven't seen as much that the staff can get a handle on. And, and that's what those relationships you mentioned, ties to the Southeast can pay off when, in finding and unearthing some guys that, that slip under the radar. Now, I mean, they had uh, they had Chris Ball here as defensive backs coach, who's now I think the defensive coordinator out at Memphis, and he, his philosophy was um, develop a relationship with the absolute best players. I remember being out at the Rivals camp in Baltimore two years ago, and a lot of the Rivals 100 defensive backs had Arizona State in their top five. When ultimately that was never a school that was going to end up in their top two or three. Guys like Joe Juan Williams uh, and. And, uh, and, and I mean, he just had the philosophy of, like, the more that ASU's name gets mentioned, the better. But ultimately, Arizona State ends up with two years in a row the worst secondary in the country because they're not pulling any of these kids. Uh, is, is there actually any benefit 
to having Arizona State be in in the mouths of some of these elite East Coast kids just because they're saying the name, you know, do, does that translate to to the next generation of kids, uh, or or ultimately if they don't pull the trigger on that, does it matter at all? Well, you know, it's, it's great PR for the coach, but if you don't sign any of them, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, right. Like you said, he's moved on now. The, the, he's moved on to another school. He moved, you know, and they've moved up in terms of his position. But what does that do for you? I mean, I don't hear, you mentioned Juwan Williams. I don't hear any kids in Nashville talk about Arizona State, you know. So right. that, that, that's the problem. And that, or is from Chattanooga, which is, you know, two, a few hours away from there. But it's like, you know, there's no, I have no problem. I totally agree with, the, because when you think about Arizona, the top-end talent in Arizona, especially the first few guys every year, they could be the t- they could be elite talent in any state, but there's a drop off to where you can't fill your whole roster off of Arizona guys. Right. I think I still personally think I know it's hard to, to battle in California, but I think you can get legitimate players out of California way easier than you could, you know, out of out of Atlanta or whatever. In terms of the guys who are ranked higher, who are more notable, it, you know, it, it's just sort of like. It, it's hard. It's hard to develop those relationships. Like you said, there's been a lot of staff turnover, and that's that sort of hurt things as well. But you know, I think you know you have to get, you have to have superior evaluations. You mentioned the investment they're making. They might have to invest in some off-field guys, the analyst types that the SEC schools love so much, whose only job is to evaluate talent and and find people based on film and other things. And you know, I went to a school in the Pac-12 for a visit. Uh, Last week, because when I'm in town, I generally go check out check out schools and meet with coaches if I can. And I went into their film room, and they had every rep from these off-season camps like ours and Nike and a few others cut up based by player. So that's what I'm talking about, those extra steps, the extra evaluation steps to, to find talent, because in the end, you have to, you know, you have to have talent. It's, that's what wins out, and, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that we got to get all five stars, but it means... Your staff has to be really high on the guys you end up taking. So when I tell you something like ASU pulled zero high school kids out of California for the class of 2017, is that something that that it sets off alarm bells in your mind? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, that's that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> so uh, you know, and I, and I think the staff there has done a good job in, in, in years past. Like I said, finding guys, but. You know, you can only go so long on, you know, we hear the argument all the time. Well, Michigan State, they made it to the playoff and they didn't have anybody. Yeah, they made it to the playoff based on a roster, a lot of fourth and fifth year guys. They did a great job of finding and developing. But when those guys leave, what happens? They're four and eight, you know. So you have to have consistent talent. And it's tough in the Pac-12 because, you know, you mentioned their defense, their their secondary was terrible. And it's, it's just hard because you're going against so many good skill position guys you know, on a week-in, week-out basis. I mean, even, I'm trying to remember, I guess that was, that was two years ago, that game against Oregon when it was like, you know, double or triple overtime or whatever. That, you know, it's just yeah. like, and that Oregon team was good, but it wasn't great, and they're still putting up, you know, 50, 60 points, whereas in the SEC, you know, you're playing a team with a bad offense, and you're going to win a game 17-9 to 9 or whatever. So, so you know, that's, that's just one of the things. You, you can never have enough 
good defensive backs or good skill position players, and they got to fill that pipeline. So my last question for you is this: uh, you know, you're out there and you get to see a lot of these defensive backs for the first time. In previous years, I felt like I could go out and see these defensive backs in California and be able to pinpoint, you know, Jack Jones is going to be a big difference maker. Thomas Graham is going to be a big difference maker. This year, with the receiving talent the way that it was, it was kind of tough to pinpoint who the elite or the up and coming defensive backs are. Are there any names that stood out to you as people that Arizona State should be pursuing? Well, you know, I, I really like that Crosswell kid, the four-star. I I'm not sure what his recruitment looks like right now. I think probably USC is heavily in the mix. And that's another problem for Arizona State is USC. You know, the shackles are off and they're winning, so it's hard because they're going to pull a lot of those guys. But he's getting on the younger guys. Max Williams, who was a, who was a 2019 guy that, you know, he's, he's not the tallest guy in the world, but I love the way he played. I mean, we watched the film back from the camp. We were thinking, man, you know, we almost invited him to the five-star challenge on the spot. And now he's going to be heavily in the mix as we as we sort out through the other camps. So, a couple of those guys I really like. I, like I said, it's tough. It's tough. You got to find the, the three star types and, and things like that. All right, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on today. All right. Thanks, man. All right, I appreciate Woody Womack being part of the Devil's Junkie podcast and, and everything that the Rivals crew uh, brings to the table. Happy to be part of Devil's Digest, happy to be part of Rivals. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, the player evaluations obviously create a ton of debate every single year. But ultimately, when it comes time for the NFL draft every year, you see that more often than not, you know, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, they know how to look uh, for somebody who is not only going to be uh, a good college player player but a, a pro prospect as well uh, that's why nobody should have been surprised you know rivals having Nikhil Harry as a five-star that he came out and had the freshman year that he did uh, so definitely appreciate Woody appreciate everybody at rivals and devil's digest for everything that they do let's get into uh, one of one of my favorite players on the Arizona State roster and, and one of my favorite interviews um, well, let's talk a little bit about Marshall Nathy you know he's a player who um, was recruited last year not even by Chris Thompson but he was locked in by um, by Josh Martin, who, who you know at the time I think was helping out um, with with you know running backs, I believe, and I'm, he's still here coaching coaching tight ends. He's a guy who played offensive line at Tarleton State and has been you know with Todd Graham for a few years in multiple roles. And Marshall Nathy, you know, he he had other opportunities, but he was totally locked into ASU. Um, Early enrollee, even though he missed half of his senior season with a torn ACL, uh, he's somebody who really brings that attitude of nastiness to the offensive line. He's a natural leader. He's somebody who I watched uh, closely in high school, especially because he was one of the earlier uh, commits of the of of the, I believe the 2016 class for Arizona State. And so, you know, he's he's somebody who has come in and he has dedicated himself to the program he's reshaped his body he's worked hard he's come back from a serious knee injury and he's trying to challenge a pair of seniors in AJ McCollum and Tyler McClure for playing time at the center position uh, and so I had an opportunity to talk to him a little bit about that how he meshes with with Todd Graham and and more so enjoy all right I got Marshall Nathy 
I've said your last name wrong. If you still get, what what do people give you as a try for your last name? Man, sometimes it's like Nath. That's the worst. And then sometimes I get like uh, Nath. Nath is pretty more typical, but Nath kind of killed me. That made me laugh. But yeah, probably the Nath's the worst. So you come in, you're early graduate, right? Yep. Come out to ASU. I mean, you're somebody who like played on your torn. Yeah, ACL, you tore it in like pregame warm-ups. Pre-game warm-up, I was just jumping with a buddy, uh, kind of trying to forget that I was fat, and it didn't really work. And yeah, something popped in my knee. I went to a trainer, tried to hide it because uh, I knew some people were watching. And we went inside, and turns out their hands weren't big enough to fully uh, extend my knee, which then they said I wasn't torn. So I played the whole game, and I got this sharp pain, and I was just like, all right, maybe... Maybe I'm just not being as tough as I'd like to be. So then the next morning I couldn't walk and we got an MRI and yeah, completely torn, so. And then, I mean, your, your rehab, as far as as far as what people are used to, eight to eight to 12 months, you, it feels like you came in ahead of schedule, got out here, got out shape, and you're participating in most of the practices last year, right? Yeah, mo uh, almost the whole season. I missed the beginning of fall on uh, a back injury um, just from the compensation I did on my knee for so long because uh, I, I tried to push it too quickly, and then that ended up messing up my spine. And But now I'm good, ready to roll. Now I'm back. So I've always told people, you, you might not have even been – the best offensive lineman on your on your high school team. Okay. But you're definitely the meanest and you definitely had that like leadership attitude. Right. Or you were the best. It could be any one of those things. Right. I've I've never said it. Let's just ignore it. So but I mean you you had some talented people on yeah, the offensive no, line. For sure. You don't get to play in that state championship where it's like the seventeen mm. best teams in the super division, but you're out there in Andrew Ruelis's face, coaching him up, and you're doing the same things that you did when you were on the line playing against Polytech and everything like that. Right. Where's that attitude come from? Is that just a family thing or um well, I grew up, uh, sometimes when I was younger, we had a, a tougher time as a family, and my oldest brother, Spencer, always seemed to have my back, no matter, because he was, he didn't see, he went Division two, and in some people's eyes, they wouldn't see that as, as much success, and um, frankly, he could have been jealous, he could have been one way or another, uh, and he did nothing but support me, so I saw it as more a chance of giving someone else the opportunities that I was always blessed to see, um, getting to know the people I got to know, the success that I saw, getting me me being injured. I know it was a negative towards me, but it was a positive towards Andrew and his uh, recruiting and his success on the football field. So that, that's what pushed me to, to do whatever I could to coach him up and teach whatever I know. So. So you've now been here over a year. Yep, about a year and a half now. A redshirt freshman, you've been here a year and a half. It's not common for, for underclassmen, offensive linemen, to even be talked about as, as people who could really yeah. get in the rotation. But I feel like you've put yourself in a situation where some people are going to have to make some tough decisions if they want to keep you off the field right. in given situations. What's been your attitude in just pursuing playing time out here and trying to get a spot? Uh, my attitude is I want to be the best. It's always been my attitude. Um, I've always pushed myself. I have a mentality. I, I had parents that have really worked hard their entire lives, and that and that brought on to me a sense of determination to make something of myself, um, bring some uh, some kind of pride to my last name. That's always what's really pushed me. Is I, I want my family to be proud of me, and frankly, I want to be one of the best lineman ASU's ever seen. That's what makes me work so hard. And so, I mean, you played a lot of guard. In, in high school, uh, and, and here it's looking like uh, you could end up at center, right? Yep. Like that's pretty much what they're looking. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, wh honestly, what's the difference? 
Oh, frankly, there's a big difference. I mean, I, I rotated in at right guard a little bit this spring, and it just it's a lot less stressful because um, you're not because before every play, you have to identify the front, identify the mic, make your calls with both guards, um, and eventually you get into a rhythm. But as a guard, you just have to concentrate on destroying the guy in front of you. But as a center, you need a little more finesse, a little more technique, and uh, you have to be able to concentrate enough to get your job done and do it well. Now, they don't make it easier. I mean, ASU in, in recent years, they have some of the biggest, baddest defensive linemen yep. they've ever had. And I mean, the, even the guys they play on the interior <laughs> are really guys that can move on the outside and oh, everything yeah. like that. So, I mean, well, of some of the people that you've had to go up against, who are you looking at as possibly having a big year on the defensive line? Well, Tayshawn Smallwood, of course. He's probably one of our best defensive linemen. But actually, George Lee, he's uh, uh, him and I had a big competition when I first got here, and he's one of my close friends now, and he's seen a lot of success this spring. Um, has really pushed himself to get his body prepared, get his mind prepared to uh, exceed in whatever way that, that he sees. Um, and I tell you what, those guys can hit. There really is not a single person on the defensive line that can't hit. They're, they're all tough, they're all mean. Uh, it's really just the finesse technique part will, which will determine who plays. We've known each other for a while and I've covered ASU for a while. Right. And I have to say like when, when you committed to ASU, understanding a little bit about you and understanding a little bit about Todd Graham, mm. I mean, you're gonna be on the same wavelength a lot with yeah. how you approach things, how, uh, how kind of how, how you see the world, the effort that you put in and, and what's important to you. What's it been like playing in his program and, and, and just sort of a, a lot of the stuff that you were raised with, uh, see that put into play on, on, on the football field and with his philosophy? Uh, well, he's, he, he's a great coach, a great man, but uh, he's almost more of a, fa a father figure. Um, he's, he can be tough on you when he needs to be, but he also will show you a, a big amount of love when you do something right. And he's, I've never, I, I mean, I, I grew up with a, a high school coach that was very determined on family pride, uh, doing things the right way and, and not taking any cheap ways out. And Coach Graham's the exact same way. He, he wants you to work for something instead of trying to find the easiest way to get there. He wants you to strain, go through all the hardship so that when you're there, you're prepared to actually do what you need to do. Whether you end up on the field or not this year, whether you end up in a big role or, or a supporting role or whatever it is, what do you want the 2017 Arizona State Sun Devils offensive line to be remembered for? I want them to kill some people. Uh, we've worked hard. Coach Sale has really prepared us. He is an incredible coach, uh, an incredible man, and um, he shows us. He, I've never been yelled at more, but I tell you what, he shows us a, a, an a immense amount of love and support. Um, uh, whatever hardships we're going through, and he has prepared us to have the right technique and the right strength to get something done and get it moving. Appreciate it, Marshall. Yeah, man. So now I want to bring in Hode Rubino and talk some basketball. Um, one of the things I've been absolutely fascinated by in covering basketball at the high school and college level is just sort of the transient nature of today's players. The amount of transfers is staggering, uh, and, and Arizona State has absolutely been no exception to the rule as far as that goes since Bobby Hurley has come on as Arizona State's head coach. They've kept up the same pace that they had toward the end of the Herb Sendek tenure or the middle of the Herb Sendek tenure, and uh, you know several players have been jettisoned or chose to leave on their own, some on good terms, some not necessarily on, on, on good terms, but if you look at it, I, just the 2015 you know commitment list andre adams 
gone. Maurice O'Field, gone. Andre Spite, gone. Uh, you look at you look at 2016. Um, Jethro Tshumpa, gone. Sam Cunliffe, gone. Um, and and beyond that, you know, you you've got um, other other players who uh, have either committed and decommitted, or you know, you have multiple instances of that. One I think mutual, and one you know saw a better opportunity at Oregon. Um, but then you had several of the players that were under Herb Sendek, and when Bobby Hurley got here, you know, they all of a sudden were all all moving on, and so your basketball team's roster is rotating at such a heavy pace that it feels like baseball when free agency really hit baseball hard you know a lot of people on one-year deals and that's really what basketball feels like right now the level of talent that Bobby Hurley is bringing in right now definitely better than the level of talent that Herb Senek brought in definitely better than the level of talent I think that you can come to expect um, from you know or have come to expect from from Arizona State I think Romello White could be an absolutely huge addition um, to what Arizona State has going on next year. Obviously, Daquan Lake and Kamani Lawrence and Remy Martin could all help right away. Um, ASU has great players coming back, and if they're going to challenge for the tournament for the first time under Bobby Hurley, it's definitely going to happen in the 2017-2018 year. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to talk to Hode Rubino just about sort of the culture of transferring and if it's anything that you really have to be worried about. And that's one theme of this podcast is you know we want to know if we're spending the right amount of time worried about the right things. So without further ado, uh, we'll go ahead and bring on Hode Rubino of DevilsDigest.com to talk some basketball. Sure. Um, I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's definitely a, a big staple of college basketball for the last uh, several years. And as you mentioned earlier, we definitely saw that in the Herb Zendik era at Arizona State. And in fairness to Zendik, it's something that, again, is prevalent um, all across the country, uh, regardless of how big or how small your program is or how uh, uh, prestigious or non-prestigious is, is your conference. That, that really is just part of the uh, of the landscape right now. I think what happens with somebody like Bobby Hurley is that, let's not forget, is he's only going into his third year of coaching at Arizona State. And uh, sure, there is some dust uh, to be settled. Um, obviously, uh, some recruits, uh, like Andre Spite, for example, is, uh, is somebody that was, was brought on board, uh, not because Hurley recruited him. He was recruited by Herb Zindek from start to finish. But uh, just somebody that Hurley really had a necessity just to have a warm body on the court um, had to have. And uh, you hope that you can figure out later if a player like that can or cannot uh, fit your system. But um, you always have to be um, very careful um, distancing players right off the bat when you're a new coach, even a second-year coach, just because uh, your uh, recruiting process, your recruiting ties are are far from being established. So I think uh, that's something that uh, definitely played a factor in, uh, in in Bobby Hurley's in the defections. I'm sorry, under Bobby Hurley uh, to date. Now, uh, sure, um, you uh, could make the argument that uh, maybe they uh, could have done um, a little bit of homework on a player like uh, like Sam Conliffe, uh, who uh, personality-wise, once uh, he arrived at Arizona State, uh, did not uh, really seem to be meshing with his teammates and not being all that receptive uh, to the coaches. So. You would hope that uh, you would see the warning signs at a time, and uh, despite him being a top 150 player, four-star, uh, one of probably the best uh, 
recruit to land at Arizona State uh, since James Harden. Uh, you, you, you would think that you would still uh, be able to just uh, put the kibosh on it and, and not even deal with uh, pursuing him further, let alone uh, signing him. Uh, so, yes, there's something to be said about that. I think uh, in the case of uh, Jethro uh, Tishampa, um, there was a former assistant coach here by the name of Brian Merritt, who was really in charge of that recruiting, again, really from start to finish. And uh, I think Bobby Hurley, to some extent, was really um, uh, blinded, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, just because uh, Merritt was probably not forthcoming. Uh, he comes over here to Arizona State, um, has uh, an incident um, off court uh, before the season even starts. Then some things uh, uh, continue to uh, to happen uh, during the season, and uh, ultimately he's uh, suspended for several games uh, to close out uh, the year, even though Arizona State was lacking depth in a major way, as we all know, and that uh, he's out of the program. So um, I think there's uh, really just a lot of factors uh, that are in play over here. I would be more worried if we're talking about this rate of defections in Bobby Hurley's fourth, fifth, sixth year at Arizona State. But in year one, year two, uh, it's almost a necessary evil uh, that uh, you have to endure. Uh, but again, that's not to say that the coaching staff uh, can't and shouldn't uh, do a better job evaluating the recruits not only from uh, the neck down, but also the neck up. Is there a sabermetrics element to college basketball where where essentially at the end of every year, coaches and players get together and say, you know, what we want out of a number seven, number eight, number nine guy, uh, you're you're not meeting that production, but you could be that for someone else, maybe at a lower level. Um, we'd like to go a different direction with the scholarship, and we believe that it's in your best interest too. Um, and 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 everybody sort of moves on that way because it feels like a lot of the a lot of the defections are you know they end up with players kind of going to uh, a level that maybe more matches um, their skill set or how they want to be used. But a lot, I mean, a lot of a lot of the guys that have have moved. On have sort of done so after the season. Like you're, you know, you have an Andre Adams or a Savon Goodman. Um, you know, who who really knows what happened with with uh, with O'Field? Um, but uh, is there that kind of element to it where they're just very honest and frank with each other, or is this more of a more of a, a thing where personalities like Obi Olakas, um, uh, you know, where they're here to overcome all the adversity that may or may not have been self-inflicted. Uh, and, you know, and those are the guys that you can actually have as seniors in your program. Um, you know, it, I, I guess the question I'm asking is, if you had to lay lay it at the feet of something, why do so many players come and go? Why does college basketball feel like baseball? Yeah, um, I would say with uh, any uh, player that ends up uh, either leaving on their own or uh, the coaches, as you said, encourage them to leave, there's definitely a sabermetric element involved uh, to it. Uh, it's reasonable to expect any coaching staff, no matter if you just came off a Final Four appearance or won uh, single-digit games, to uh, take inventory of your entire roster and uh, see uh, what the production or lack thereof of each returning player is. And uh, if you think uh, any given player... Uh, can or should be part of your program uh, moving forward. So uh, that element uh, definitely comes into play. I think with Arizona State, uh, it was really more other aspects such as uh, personality. We mentioned somebody like Sam Cunliffe. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, his uh, sabermetric uh, numbers and just his production overall. Uh, Sam Cunliffe is somebody who started uh, several games that uh, definitely showed more than a few flashes, and if he 
kept that level of play, if, uh, let alone improving uh, on that for the rest of the season. There's no doubt in my mind that he would be more than welcome uh, to the Sun Devils in 2017-18. Jessa uh, Deschamps, uh, you knew you were getting a project uh, to begin with, and uh, to some extent, sure, you knew you had to be patient uh, with uh, such a talented player. But when the personality uh, became an issue, and uh, obviously his uh, lack of production was affected by what was going um, off the court and what affected him ultimately on the court, then uh, sure, that uh, paved uh, his own path to, uh, to to leaving the program. Andre Adams, uh, it's not really sabermetrics or personality. It's just uh, having uh, horrible luck going through two uh, ACL uh, injuries in a span of one year and uh, just uh, having a player that, even though he showed a lot of flashes, especially very late in the season, uh, is somebody that the coaching staff felt that could not be a vital contributor uh, going forward. So, uh, sure, I think the sabermetrics or just plain old old school production is the ultimate uh, bottom line uh, in evaluating each and every player and see if they should or should not be coming back. Uh, for the following season. I, I think Arizona State, uh, again, uh, the personality and uh, health issues may be even overriding the production factor that much more. And players obviously do this too. You have a guy like Casey Benson who realizes he's probably not going to be an NBA superstar. Should I spend my last year with a rebuilding Oregon team or should I go play with my brother at Grand Canyon? Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And Grand Canyon, uh, obviously, uh, not being eligible for the NCAA uh, tournament. Uh, a lot of a lot of excitement, as we know, going on at that campus, uh, and um, yeah, I think that everybody that followed uh, Oregon not only, not only through the season but also in their march uh, the, through the Final Four. I mean, you could see that Casey Benson was really a marginal player there, and even though uh, Oregon is going through a whole retooling um, uh, movement right now because of a lot of players declaring to the NBA and whatnot, um, I think uh, it's reasonable to think that Casey's Benson role next year uh, with a team like Oregon may not be that much more impactful. And uh, really, in reality, um, obviously, Oregon is going to be a better team than, uh, than GCU, but, uh, but Oregon uh, may be um, pretty far away from having the talent level and the production that they had uh, versus the Final Four appearance it just uh, came off of uh, a couple weeks ago. So, uh, sure, for somebody like him, it would uh, it would make sense. Um, you know, he can call it to be the big fish in the small pond, I mean, however you want to phrase it. But the bottom line is that NBA scouts are going to find you, uh, whether you're playing for a Pac-12 program or playing for a lower-level program like, uh, like, like GCU. And uh, it was definitely a smart decision for Casey Benson uh, to, to go to GCU. Obviously, playing in your backyard and having your older brother as an assistant coach, that's really deciding on the cake. As always, I appreciate Hode Rubino on the podcast. Uh, He's been incredible to work with at Devil's Digest, and something that I definitely suggest you do is go to devilsdigest.com or asu.rivals.com or asudevils.com. There's more than a few ways there, but when you get there, subscribe. Join us on the message boards. Let's talk ASU sports. Let's figure out amongst ourselves what we do need to worry about, what we don't need to worry about, and let's go from 
there. Um, as I'm finishing this podcast, this this uh, episode of the Devil's Junkie podcast, Arizona State Baseball has just secured their first losing season since I was in diapers in the year of 1985. Uh, that that can't be good, and that's definitely something that we spend quite a bit of time talking about on the message boards, whether or not the team's going in the right direction, whether or not Tracy Smith uh, ha- has the team headed where you want this team to be, or you know, are they breaking it down too far in order to rebuild? Uh, is this team showing heart, or all the defections from the baseball team something uh, you know that that could be considered normal? Or is there something to be concerned about? Definitely hop on the DevilsDigest.com message boards. We'll talk some baseball, we'll talk some football, we'll talk some basketball. We see which one of the big three is able to right the ship first, or if ASU athletics is going to be continued to be carried by Charlie Turner Thorne and that talented girls basketball team Uh, but you'd like to see a rising tide uh, lift lift all boats out there with the fundraising they've done and and all the new facilities and and you know the coaches that Ray Anderson's brought in you'd like to see the bigger sports the ones that you know the meaty ones that get a lot of attention you'd like to see them uh, performing at a level that would be acceptable to an Arizona State alumni or a fan of these athletic programs, and as of right now, you know you're you're looking at the basketball team, the baseball team, and the football team all not necessarily being where they want to be. So again, DevilsDigest.com. I'm Ralph Amazon. This has been the Devils Junkie Podcast. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town